Hey, welcome to the C3 Church Victory Podcast. We pray this message will inspire you and activate your faith. Thanks for joining us. Luke 2, chapter 8. Uh, Luke chapter 2, great transition, Pastor Nate. Well done. That's such a smooth segue. So smooth. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 15. That's so cool. Christmas, right? The night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. That would have just been unbelievable. They were terrified. I'm sure they were. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. I could preach a whole message right now about how we are both shepherds and sheep. We are called with a message that will bring great joy to all people. The glory of the Lord is supposed to rest upon us. The the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angels were joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. That's you. God's pleased with you. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go. Do you know know when else we find the word go in Scripture? is after Jesus, this is, this is Jesus arriving, and we hear the word go, and then Jesus leaving, and we hear the word go. In, in Acts, I think, no, Matthew, Matthew 8, 28. Is it Matthew 8, 28? They're close. I was so close. I had the right chapter. It's the Google generation. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go, go. You know, the the prompt of the Spirit hasn't changed. In thousands of years, the prompt of the Spirit hasn't changed. Go. Get on with the calling of God on your life. Go. Get out of your seat. Get out of your circumstance. Get out of the sin that you think holds you back and disqualifies you. Get out of whatever it is that you have disqualified yourself with. Get out of the lifestyle that you have built that restricts you from being able to and go for the call of God. It has not changed in thousands of years. Sometimes we we come and we look for a a word from God or we're seeking him for a word and God's saying, I gave you a word. I gave it twice. I gave it when Jesus came and I gave it when Jesus rose and it has not changed. And that word is very simple. It is go. Go and see. Let us go to Bethlehem. Let us see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Can we pray? Father, feel so stirred this morning about your call to go, to be actually a part of building your kingdom, to, to bring the reality of you into people's lives. So Father, I pray that you would help 
this morning for us to get a revelation from your word. I pray your spirit will begin to move already. God, I thank you that it has been preparing the hearts of people. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. 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 Have you ever lent anybody something and kind of half got it back? Has that ever happened to you? Is anyone a little bit like, like, like lend jaded? You're, you're, you're super cautious to lend again? I'm a little bit lend jaded, but I, I, I make decisions to operate in, in the opposite spirit. You know when you've got to do that, where you're like, I know I have an issue here, so I'm actually going to deliberately choose to be different. Uh, like, like, like maybe when, 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 no, I won't go there. Don't go there, Nate. All right. I, I, in, my, in my university days, uh, we, we, we would do trips down to the snow. We would go snowboarding. Uh, it was lots of fun. Uh, and we would do it on the cheap, uh, as you do when you're in uni. And, um, but what we would do every year, we would buy one new piece of equipment. Right, so over over you know a few years, I had built up along with uh, uh, the guys that we went with, like a full setup: board, boots, bindings, pants, jacket, gloves, goggles. Uh, and I was I was pretty happy with my setup. Like my setup it was my style, it was my my brands because those things mattered to me and they still kind of do. But I'm working on it. And 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 then this is in no way uh, to sound negative. But then I got married and things changed. Because, because my money was not all my money to spend on what I wanted to spend it on. Now I needed to consider someone else. It's interesting, Paul says the same thing when it comes to the calling of God. He says, actually, it's better to stay single because then you can have a singular focus. So for everyone who is single here in the building this morning or online, let me encourage you that you are actually better positioned to go after the call of God Maybe then when we get married and we have another focus, where we have to look after our spouse and then we have kids and we have an even more split focus and, and, and life gets really busy, when you're single, you can have a singular focus. You can get so much done for the kingdom of God when you choose in that moment of your life, in that season of your life, to run hard after the call of God. Don't ever let anyone tell you that singlehood is somehow outside of the call of God. It is so far from the case. So far from the case. But I got married and, and I could no longer spend as, you know, hundreds of dollars on what I wanted. I, I needed to consider things. Um, and so my snowboarding gear began to sit rather than get used. And so other people, other friends would be like, oh, we're going to the snow. And I'm like, oh, I've got some gear. You can borrow it if you want. And the first time I lent it, I kind of, like it all came back, which was great. Second time was kind of like, well, I, I was missing a piece. Missing a piece is okay. I can, I can reimburse a piece, Right. Then there was one particular person I led it to, and, and I will put a caveat on the story. I'm terrible at following up. I don't know if you're like that, like you're happy kind of to land, and then you're awkward asking for it back, kind of like I thought the unspoken contractual agreement was you would give it back. I didn't know I was going to have to ask for my own stuff back again. It's, it's my stuff. Like, you should give it back. Um, like, if, don't, don't go there. So many things in my head. So happens when I get up early and watch soccer instead of praying before I preach. And um, just being real, Jesus is still with me. But I lent all of my gear at this one time, and I, I didn't pursue the return. And so I kind of stayed with this person, and they, they moved house a couple of times, and eventually went through a, a bit of a messy breakup with a, with a girlfriend. And, and, and I next had a conversation, and the conversation sort of went something like, um, oh, yeah, like, where's, where's, are you, do you still have my gear? Do you still have my gear? He's like, oh, look, that breakup was so bad, I just left stuff. I just bailed. 
And I'm like, you, like, you, you, my stuff? Like, you left, oh, oh, like, that was like two years ago, so it's like, it's way beyond timeline to go back, like, that's awkward now. So I have very little snowboard gear now, and uh, that's okay, because I don't really go to the snow, but, but you know, like, when, when stuff is kind of, like, returned, but not really returned, you know, like, like, you get, like, one piece back, or someone gives you something back and it's broken, and you're like, oh, Thanks, like I got it back, but I didn't really get it all back. I didn't, like, it's, it's no longer functioning at the same level. It's kind of how we find, like, if I can, the nation of Israel as we read this passage of Scripture. Not waiting for snowboarding gear, in case that's what you're wondering. But they, they have contextually returned, but not fully. They are living in a state as a nation of we've returned, but kind of not fully at the same time. We, let's go on a little bit of a journey, if that's all right, into the Old Testament. We need to give context to this announcement because this is the single greatest announcement in the entire of history, particularly if you are an Israelite. This, like, nothing could have been bigger to someone from the nation of Israel, like not even close. This was like the greatest, most significant statement. If, if, if you were an Israelite and you heard someone, not just angels from heaven, mind you, but if you heard someone say, the Messiah has been born, it would be an outrageous announcement. You see, they had been waiting, living in a state of waiting and expectation for this Messiah figure, this, this, this person, this, this one like the Son of Man, Daniel calls them, or, or the prophets throughout the Old Testament who prophesied that there will be a coming of a Messiah and he will save, he will restore, he will do all of these things. But to fully understand the context, we have to, we have to go a long way back. So we're going to start in Genesis this morning. We're going to journey out. It's all right if I preach for four hours, is it? That's cool? Yeah? Caleb, my man. Excuse me, I'm a bit croaky. If we begin, if we set the platform back at Abraham, because Abraham is the beginning of the nation of Israel. Abraham is the... The start point, he's the seed. He carries the genetic material, if you will, both spiritually and physically for what defines the nation of Israel, the chosen people. And in Genesis 12, God gives Abraham a blessing. Follows it up in chapter 17. If you want to do some back reading, I highly recommend it. And God promises Abraham these things. Here you go. Leave your native country and relatives and your father, blah, blah, blah. And go to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, make you famous, and you'll be a blessing to others. This promise is at the, like, if you could drill into the core of the core of the core of the core of what defined an Israelite, you would find this promise. Because this was their formation. I will make you a nation. There is no nation without this promise. It doesn't exist. This promise is what defines the nation. The very nation of Israel is Their understanding of who they are is we are the promise. We are the chosen people. We are the ones who God spoke at our own formation that I am forming you into a nation. I'm going to make you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a place, a person, a position, and a purpose. And this is what defined them. 
that they were going to be God's chosen people, that, that Yahweh was going to be their God. There was so much significance and value and identity wrapped up in this, this, this core beginning for who they were. And we have to understand that because the rest of the Old Testament is premised and put into context and framework around this promise. And so then we hit Exodus, we hit Moses, and we see that God is, is bringing freedom to his people, a shadow of what Jesus will do for us from sin. And, and, and he breaks them out of Pharaoh's captivity, and, 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 and they journey through Sinai, and they get the law. Why do they get the law? Because they need something to help them live as God's chosen people. And so the law begins to, to integrate itself into these these components of the promise. And so we, we get these, these elements, if you will, of national identity. But it was deeper because it was spiritual at the same time. So there is no differentiation between physical and spiritual characterization of someone who is of the nation of Israel. You are born, but you are spiritually that at the same time. And these are, so you have, you have, this promise of land, you have this promise of God's presence. I will be your God and you will be my people. And you have now got the law. The law defined them. It was given to them, no one else. It was the one thing that was setting them apart. It was, it was given to them so that they were, could be holy as their God was holy. They were given the law and the sacrificial system because God knew that the law was never going to make them perfect because we cannot perfect ourselves through our performance. We need a sacrifice who's grateful for the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen. And then after the law, we get... We get Joshua. You can summarize the entire of Joshua with the, the word victory, right? Because Joshua was the one that led them into the promised land. The land they were promised, that defining factor of their identity was that they would have a land. This is, is, is the partial fulfillment of this promise. They are entering the promised land. They go on conquest after conquest, victory after victory, acquiring this land. And so towards the end of Joshua... We get the closest we ever get to the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise. We have a people living in a land, abiding by a law. All of these things that define who they are. And then we arrive at kings. Kings, the moment where Israel wanted to be like every other nation. God, we want a king like everyone else, but I'm your king. But we want a king like everyone else, but I'm your king. But I want to live like everybody else in today's day and age, but I'm your king. But I want to live like everyone else in today's day and age, but I'm your king. I want to build a career like everyone else. I want to make money like everyone else. I want to do the same things that everyone else does. I want to live my life with the same core foundational principles as everyone else, but I'm your king. The Old Testament is incredibly helpful for us still today. We get a king and we get the temple, Solomon's temple. It's, it's mind-blowingly significant, beautiful. And God's presence comes, fills the temple. And so now we have God with his people, his people with him. And then we hit judges. <laughs> Told you we were going all the way through. If Joshua... Represented victory, Judges represents defeat. Judges is the cycle of sin, 
over and over and over and over. It's a cycle of God's grace over and over and over and over. But underlying that, God continues to give them the message. Hey, if you continue, if you continue to operate in sin, it will eventually have consequences on your life. You will be overtaken. You will end up in exile under another nation. If you continue to pursue sin in your life, it will end up taking you captive. Whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. But if you continue to pursue sin, if you continue to go in that direction, you will eventually end up in circumstances in your life that bind you up and cause you to be exiled from the call of God. And in quick summary, because the keyboardist has come out, Eventually, everything comes falling down. We end up seeing the nation of Israel get so divided that they split. That's never happened in the church. And they split, and we end up with 10 tribes of the north and two tribes of the south, but God's grace is still there because he continues to speak that he is going to send a Messiah of the line of the tribe of Judah. We have the season of the split kingdom, but they still just continue in these cycles and despite having good kings and and what have you eventually as a model of the eternal justice that God will bring one day on all of our lives we're told that we will stand before him and give an account we see that God's grace gets to a point where he says I told you if you kept going this way there would be circumstances you would be defeated I think it's in Proverbs that says a man can't take fire to his bosom and not get burned. You cannot mess with sin and not expect it to have an effect on your life. And eventually, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians, progressive uh, defeat. And we get to a point where eventually the entire nation of Israel, north, south, doesn't matter. They have all been exiled. They've all been overrun. They've all been defeated and taken. And we find the entire chosen people of God without a land, without the presence of God, in exile. And the very last section of the Old Testament, it talks about Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, is the return. It's the return. And it's the return that's not the return. Because they're allowed to come back. I can't remember which king. King Cyrus. Actually, if you read one of the prophets, it's prophesied that King Cyrus, after 70 years in exile, because God has a plan bigger than your mistakes. And God says, you're going to go into exile, but 70 years after exile, I'm going to raise up a king. It's not a king of my kingdom, but I'm going to use him because God's sovereignty is far bigger than we can dream or imagine. He can use a prime minister or a president or whatever it is that you think is somehow uh, the one person that's going to bring the kingdom of heaven into planet earth. No, 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 no. He can, he can raise up whoever he wants to use whoever he wants to do whatever he needs to do. And he prophesies and says, I'm going to raise up King Cyrus and he's going to allow you to return. That's exactly what happens. Seven years later, they get to return. But you know what? They might rebuild the temple under Zerubbabel. They might reinstitute the law under Ezra. And with Nehemiah, they might start to get some walls up and create for themselves again a sense of land. But you know that God's presence never returns to the temple. And the last thing we read 
in the, the Italian prophet Malachi. That's a bit raw, actually, going out in the last 16 to talk about Italy. I'm, I, I don't know if I can... Ooh, some trauma in that. Too soon, Pastor Nate, too soon. Malachi. You know what Malachi 3, Malachi 4, in summary, says, says this. I'm going to send a messenger. My presence is going to return. On the day of judgment, can't read my own writing. I'm pretty sure it says, be my something, something. It's going to be good. But basically, that, that God's going to bring about the promise in fulfillment. Malachi 4, keep the law. The very last thing that said to the nation of Israel, look for Elijah. Keep the law, look for Elijah. And it's from this, we then, we then hit silence. I don't know if you know that. We then hit silence and 400 years as a nation where they do not hear from God. Or exile, return, but not really return. They never really got their land. And even though they were back and allowed to build the temple, they were still under rule by the Persians. So they've returned, but they've not really returned. I got my gear back, but not really. Silence. Keep the law. Look for Elijah. And it's that context, that understanding that for hundreds of years they have heard nothing from God, but generation after generation, what has been passed on? Look for Elijah. God's going to send someone. He's going to do something. Someone is coming. And when they come, they are going to bring about the true and full expression of the return. Everything that we have been aching for and desiring and desperate for, they're going to bring back all of those things that made us. They're going, to, they're going to fulfill. We're going to see and live in the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham and everything that was told to him. We're going to see it. And they've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. 400 years of waiting. And then we arrive at this point in history where angels and the glory of God burst forth. The heavenly realm invades the earthly realm. And we're told a Messiah has been born. Not just a Messiah, but the Messiah. The thing that you have been waiting for. The promised one has come. 400 years of silence and waiting has come to an end. Do you think you can get an inkling of, of, of the significance of that moment? So much was built up for an Israelite in that name, the Messiah. And I mean, they thought he was going to do all sorts of things that he didn't do, but that's another message for another time. But you know, it wasn't just their Messiah. It's our Messiah. It's our Messiah. It's our Messiah who has come to rescue us from the exile in our own heart that sin does to us from the Lord God Almighty. Sin causes us to be separated from Him. But because of our Messiah, we are able to return in fullness to right relationship with God, to be His people and for Him to be our God. So I don't know where you find yourself this morning, but I know there's times where I feel like there's still parts of my life that are, that are exiled. I don't know whether it's, it's family. Or maybe you're living right now in a, a self-inflicted exile. 
Maybe you've done things in the circumstances that, that you find yourself in in this present moment. Feel as though you are in some form of exile. Maybe you feel like you've lost something significant from your life or you, you're living in a season of defeat. You know, the truth is that no matter how far you are or how far you, you feel like you've fallen or, or how much you feel like you miss it or have missed it, whatever it is for you, no matter what you feel like you're lacking, for all of us, there is the constant like reminder of our flaws and our failings, our missteps, the pain of where we, we did things wrong. That stuff's real. That, that, like it's hard to get past regrets. It's hard to let go when the consequences of your decisions might be very real and very in front of you. Sometimes we live in an exile in our mind or in our heart where we've put up these walls of protection as a self-inflicted exile, self-inflicted separation. Maybe we're just lost. We've been, we've been in such a lost place in our mind. Our thoughts running wild. We don't even know where they've led us, but we know they've led us into a place that we don't like and it's not healthy and you're not doing well. feel as though you're a far distance from the promise. Hear about all of these things to do with a relationship with Jesus. You feel like you're so far from that. So far from joy. So far from peace. I feel like I'm so far from strength. I feel weak. God, I feel like I stuff up all the time. I don't feel like I'm your child. I don't feel like I'm loved by you. Why would you love me? after what I've done. These are the things we tell ourselves. God, I'm holding people at arm's distance. I'm holding the church at arm's distance. I'm not saying that at times the church hasn't done things that we probably need to ask forgiveness for. But I want to encourage you to not allow that to be an exile from your Messiah. Don't lose Jesus. Don't lose Jesus in the church. You know, we live in an age of promise of the now, but the not yet. And so for all of us who've accepted Jesus, in some place in our lives, we live in the tension of return, but not fully. We live in the tension of the promise, but not all of it. Like we've got all of it, but I don't experience all of it. And this is a message for everyone this morning that I refuse to believe and expect for anything less than fullness from my God. How many of you have chosen the one thing that you think, oh, that'll be the one thing that God never actually sorts out. Because somewhere in the back of our minds, maybe it's just me, we read scripture and we know that, well, you know, like we will continue to be perfected until the day the Lord comes. So what we do, what we do, we all find that thing that we struggle with and we go, that's the thing that we'll have to wait until the very last. 
Oh, that, that's the thing that God won't really deal with until I pass through that final door. That's the thing. And we stop believing that God can do that thing right now. And we actually allow ourselves to be bound up by something that God may very well be planning to bring you freedom from. But you've decided that that's the thing. Because sure, I don't know what, but I know that I'm not going to reach perfection until I get to heaven. But maybe I shouldn't be the one that decides the thing that God's not going to do. Maybe my job is to decide that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above everything that I could ask, dream, or imagine. Maybe with man it seems impossible, but with God all things are possible. Like maybe my job is to believe in faith that that there's nothing in my life that God can't transform and renew. Maybe it's my job to get a hold of scriptures that say that that God is bringing to completion the good work that he began in me and that I'm not going to allow something of my own definition, my own exile, to restrict me from what God might want to do in my life, creating a testimony for his glory. Thanks for making time to hear this message today. We encourage you to connect with us by heading to c3victory.org.au. 